August 21st, 1888, the first successful adding machine in the United States is patented by William Seward Burroughs, grandfather of the beatnik author of the same name. The invention saw Burroughs hailed as a complete fucking dweeb, just the biggest fucking nerd. Welcome to The Revisionist. I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. And joining us tonight, a uh, wonderful, wonderful podcaster. So excited to have him. John McCoy, everyone. Hello. Uh, thank you for being here. Sure, sure. Uh, listeners, uh, it's that time again to remind you that it's the middle of summer and it's very hot where Zach and I record. I can't speak for John right now. Um, but if during this episode you hear us <laughs> just losing our goddamn minds, that's what's happening. It's 95 degrees in Denver right now. Uh, yes. Uh, as, uh, you know, as, as John Travolta once said, oh, those summer nights. Um, and then he had some additional lyrics, I'm sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that was actually it. Yeah, that was the full song. People don't remember that it was a four <laughs> second long song. <laughs> it's amazing that Grease was made up of such small little samples. Yeah. Um, listeners if you're new to the show what we do each episode we take a topic from history one person presents the official uh government sanctioned version of events and another person comes up with the texas history textbook version of events uh and the winner becomes the truth going forward in an element of the show that we've grown increasingly uncomfortable with in the last couple years. Correct. Yes, we have the true history, and then we have the Mike Liddell symposium version. Yeah. Um, we came up with this idea when Barack Obama was president, but we're sticking with it because we, uh, at least... Because the brand is built, and it's hard to turn this ship around. We support... Uh, people like Harriet Tubman and think that uh, the Rosenbergs were unduly tried, unlike most of the conservative movement in the country today. Yeah. Um, so uh, we don't have results currently for Operation Fortitude, our most recent episode. Um, but uh, as you're Thanks listening to, to Patrick this, Hamilton. thank you to Patrick Hamilton. Yes, we'll have results for that next time. Um, but we can tell you now officially that uh, in terms of Lionel Crab, uh, Frogman, uh, the alternate history won out, of course, uh, where the whole thing was basically the setup for Rock Lobster by the B-52s. Yes. Yeah, I created a, a, an elaborate alternate James Bond heist style history uh, where he stole the Medusa formula and uh, eventually... The ending was that um, it was the lyrics to Rock Lobster. Um, so that was my uh, my <laughs> contribution to a uh, true uh, a man who died serving <laughs> his country in ignoble circumstances. Yeah. Listeners, also, sometimes when we say these things out loud, we realize, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. Um, but... Uh, this week, we are continuing our series on spies uh, with Matahari. Uh, John, you're doing the actual history. Right. Zach, you're doing... Right. I, I want to I, I 
give a caveat here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not exactly clear whether she was a spy or not, but mm-hmm. we, we, we will we will go we, we will go with what we have. Sure. I, I, w- I want to say a little bit about if, if, I, if I may about Mata Hari because mm-hmm. uh, I actually know I know when I learned about Mata Hari uh, for the first time, it was when I was listening to my parents, uh, copy of Little Mary Sunshine, mm-hmm. which is a musical uh, that I don't think it's uh, performed much anymore, and there there are good reasons for that. <laughs> but it did have some it did have some catchy songs, and the catchiest was entitled Matahari. Hmm. And then the other place that I remember reading about Matahari for the first time, and here I'm really going to date myself. Uh, are you familiar with the Book of Lists? Yes. Yes, right. So this was a, a book that was put together in 1977 by the people who brought us the People's Almanac. Mm-hmm. It was basically BuzzFeed uh, long before there was a BuzzFeed. And uh, the great thing about the Book of List is they didn't really source any of the stuff that they presented as, as true. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so... Wikipedia and so I, before I, Wikipedia. Yeah. Right. I found, I found where I had read this. It was in a book of... It was a list in the Book of Lists called 23 of the Busiest Lovers in History. Mm, a, and it says here... Wait. Saucy article. <laughs> it says... Probably the most notorious spy since Delilah, and the most accomplished temptress really? since La Pompadour. Okay. Matahari worked as a spy for the Germans, while uh, posing as an exotic dancer in Paris. Which is not true. This is not. This is not the history of her life. <laughs> her lovers included, blah 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 blah. But but this is the thing that I I like. It, in a parenthetical, it says. It has been estimated that her activities caused the deaths of 50,000 Allied soldiers. By whom? (laughs) By the Book of Lists. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. It has been estimated. (laughs) I also, I'm I'm stuck on... I have... It has been estimated that the Book of Lists is full of shit. (laughs) By me. I'm just stuck on the phrase busiest busiest lovers and i'm not sure what that means i'm not sure if it means fuck I think, the most uh, she had a relationship with busy phillips is what that oh, okay. means yeah. <laughs> oh god there's a whole right. era of like 1970s books like that that are just like totally unaccountable like i have I have one of my grandfather's time life books called Mysteries of the Unexplained, which is just smack smack jam full of cryptids, basically. You know, I I, I lived through the 70s and I, and I can't understand that there was this period there where uh, paranormal phenomena and crypt cryptozoology was just everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was on TV. It was everywhere. And there was a great magazine um in they started publishing i think in 1979 called omni Mm -hmm. which was science but also bullshit (laughs) (laughs) and it was published by right it was published by bob guccione the publisher of penthouse (laughs) but but and it had it had like stories about new scientific discoveries it had science fiction uh short stories some of them very good like it was the first place to publish george rr R. martin that mm-hmm. i know of but but it also 
had all these stories about ESP and UFOs <laughs> and uh, you know so, res- you know reincarnation that sort of thing. So. Just the History Channel today, basically. Yeah, basically, it was, yeah. <laughs> oh man! But John, whenever you're ready, let's dive into oh, Matahari. Okay. Right. Well, I, I will dive into Matahari. I, I want to say, if if you don't know much about Matahari. If all you know, all you know about her is like the Theta Bera, uh, Theta Bera vamp uh, story or the Greta Garbo movie from mm-hmm. ni- 1931, you might think, oh, this is going to be a fun topic. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it, it's, it's not so much. May I make a it's, quick confession prior to this episode? Yes. Uh, I, I knew the name a little bit. Um, we've been doing this podcast long enough that I assumed that there would be some darkness like i did not uh quite uh quite i was a little surprised by what i found with the matahari yeah. so well, well we'll come to that when i have to do my alternate history but uh <laughs> yeah i am yeah. and i'll say this is one of the few episodes where i have done no research because oh. six month old uh, so <laughs> i'm strapped in now let's see Right. Well, Matahari, who is known for being an, an exotic dancer in Paris at the turn of the century and possibly a spy during World War I, uh, was actually not uh, Javanese, as her name might uh, <laughs> might project. She was born in uh, in the Netherlands. Her original her name was Margarita Gertrude McLeod. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is which, that, that last name is 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 odd, but that's because she eventually married a Scottish Dutch uh, colonialist who was stationed in Java. Um, her her it's, it's original name last name was Zell, if I recall correctly. Yeah, Zell. Yeah. Z. And, and now I'm going to mispronounce a lot of things here because um, because uh hey, th- that's dutch is dutch is not my 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 forte <laughs> that's half one, of things that I, <laughs> that's, that's one of the things that i do like is that uh after when matahari was was young her parents divorced and she moved to a town that's spelled sneak <laughs> it's 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 pronounced snake in 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 dutch but i like to think of it as going to sneak uh, <laughs> she um she she came from an unhappy uh, childhood. Her her parents uh, divorced early. Um, she kind of was bounced around from place to place. She was going to be tra- she was training to be a uh, a school teacher when she answered a a, a newspaper calling uh, for uh, a possible mail order bride for this guy McLeod, who was. He was just home from uh, from Java, and he, it said in his uh, in his advertisement, "wishes to return a married man." So, oh. you know, <laughs> apparently he got uh, like dozens of uh, of responses. Uh, he he chose little Mar, Mar-, uh, Mar- what's her Margrethe, Mar- which I, I I know she went by the name Magritte. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she went with him to, to Java, had an absolutely horrific marriage. Um, Not the best. He was abusive. He gave That's, her syphilis. Yep. He had a That's... he had a mistress. 
it's it's no fun at all. Yeah. Uh, but while she was in in Java, she did learn uh, something about Javanese classical dance, and, and that's where she would eventually uh, turn to once she had left uh, Java and come back to the West, um, which she did uh, as a as a divorced woman she didn't have a lot of opportunities and she also had um a a daughter she'd had a yes. son who had apparently died uh early on pro- possibly from the syphilis that uh she she had contracted um and the daughter was eventually uh basically kidnapped by the father again yeah. very very sad she had, ex- uh, she had extremely little recourse to like right. him taking the rights to this child he was also an alcoholic and abusive husband at the time they were married. Mm-hmm. Not the best. Right. But so here's the fun part <laughs> of, of her life. She did move to Paris and she uh, wanted to get a job um, doing something that she could do as a divorced woman. And that was she spent a little time as an artist model, but then she decided to become an exotic dancer and uh she took on the name matahari which means uh eye of the sun uh or i no sorry eye of the day literally but the poetically the sun Mm -hmm. uh in in javanese um it's she she gave her first her first performance at the musee Guimet, which is a, a lovely museum if you ever go uh, I, I didn't actually go to it when I was in Paris the last time I, we went by it because everything was closed my wife Marina and I went to Paris the week before COVID oh, no. broke out Great. <laughs> <laughs> so, so 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 around us everything was closing we 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 we, we missed the love by one day oh no um, uh, and we didn't go into the Musée Guimet, but we did pass it. And it's a very beautiful building from the outside. Um, <laughs> it was... A, <laughs> it, the inside, it just amuses me. I'll I can't you, wait for I'll someone get, to go and find out the inside is a total John, shit John, yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to lay your mind to rest. The inside is shit. It looks horrible. <laughs> There's black moss all over. Well, well, what's, what's funny about it to me is that it was a museum of, uh, of Asian art or what what the French would call Orientalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it gives you pause to think that one of the things that they did was they showed uh, the, the the premiere of Matahari as a dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So so she did this dance. She did a series of dances in which, which she purported to be uh, Javanese. She purported herself to be Javanese. She purported that she, you know, was, uh, was, you know, no one seemed to mind the fact that she had a Dutch accent. Um, I guess well, they thought Dutch accents were very close to Japanese. Apparently, I, I don't... Uh, in, in, in the 1910s, people weren't too woke yet, I guess. They were, <laughs> they were more or less okay with appropriation of other cultures. Right. I am not actually well, laying this on the feet of the Matahari because uh, uh, Marguerite was a woman of limited means. But mm-hmm. right. 
Well, one of the other thing about Matahari is you would think that there would be some sort of a definitive biography out there, and there really isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I was reading primarily this the the most recent one by a woman named Mary Craig. Uh, it's called uh, Tangled Web. Uh, if you if you, if you want to look it up, it's probably the most footnoted one. If that if you care about that sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, and she posited that the um, Parisians knew that uh, Matahari was faking it, but they loved that. And it's sort of like, you know, kayfabe. (laughs) But for the the exotic dance uh, set. That was not the leap I was expecting in terms of what what realms we were operating in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other thing that's, that's interesting to me about this is she was dancing in Paris at the same time that Isadora Duncan was dancing. And they were rivals at the time, or at least the uh, papers tried to make them out as rivals. Um, you know, Matahari didn't really know how to dance very well. Uh, and Isabella Duncan didn't really uh, take off her clothes as much as Matahari did. Although there is a, there, she, she is the subject of the Edward Mybridge uh, photographs of, of, of a dancing woman. So, and, and, and there she was wearing a diaphanous gown. So, now, anyway. One thing I read, uh, you could obviously correct me, is like one of the, the staples. Generally, the Matahari uh, was, obviously, in her act, sometimes she would wear like uh, certain coverings, but especially over her breasts because she was like self-conscious about like the size of her breasts so she kind of became famous for having these like being basically naked except for these breast coverings it was like one of her trademarks for a yeah no that that is true if you look if if you you look for photographs of matahari there are photos of her wearing only her top uh which I guess, as you say, she was she was less um, she was more ashamed of her top than she was of of, of her bottom. Uh, there is some arguing uh, in the in the sources that I've read about whether or not she wore a body stocking on stage or not. Mm. This, these are the kinds of these are the kinds of crucial issues you get <laughs> into course, when you yes. engage in Matahari studies. <laughs> I, so sh- sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say she she. She was a dancer for a while, mm-hmm. um, and and she was popular enough. But uh, she, by the time that the uh, the First World War was about to start, she was looking at the end of her career. She mm-hmm. was uh, she was she was aging. She was she was getting into her her what like late thirties at that point. There were lots of other acts that were coming up that were fresher and newer. Um, and of course, and she, uh, to this day, if a woman is in her late thirties, she is no longer, she's no longer desirable. <laughs> that right. remains no, a constant. That's, right. That's, 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 a, that's the unfortunate truth. She also had developed uh, a certain taste for high, high living because she was making good money sure. as a dancer. Mm-hmm. She turned to becoming a courtesan. And at this point, you know, she had lovers hither and yon she had probably about six or seven at a time um and uh but she she did fall hard 
during World War One for this one officer who was a Russian officer, uh, whose name was uh, Maslov, mm-hmm. and the Russians were in France at that time, acting as a sort of a of a of a vanguard force against the Germans. It's you know World War One is such a mess. I, God knows how <laughs> That's anyone the understatement. <laughs> of... <laughs> Sure. So, but but she she was she as a Dutch citizen and Dutch and, and the Netherlands were uh, were you know they they were neutral during the war. Mm-hmm. She could travel around from country to country, and she did travel from France to uh, Germany. And but but she was uh, she was eventually courted by both the uh, the the French. Uh, secret service which was called the Dizium Bureau um, she was she was contacted by I think that translates to I know Bureau means office I'm going to assume Dizium yes. means dizzy I, uh, <laughs> do not speak French <laughs> right now she was um, she was uh, she was was contacted by this guy oh man I'm, I'm, I'm not finding in my notes here um, but the the head head of the 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 Duzium Bureau, his name was ah. You'll edit this all out, I'm sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, he, he she was the head of the the bureau uh, was called uh, was was named Georges Ledoux, oh, and he, and he wanted to he wanted Matahari to seduce the um what the, the 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 prince read i i don't don't know what it was something what his, like the crown his, prince it was wilhelm's the crown son prince. right uh right. kaiser wilhelm's son the crown prince wilhelm right willie's boy because because they thought maybe he would provide some information and, apparently he didn't have much information to be fair this guy seemed uh based on what i read like a real piece of shit um <laughs> he he was uh, kind of like a lackadaisical playboy, but also he spent a lot of his time um, engaging with far right wing politicians and even uh, engaged with potentially having his father, Kaiser Wilhelm, uh, insane and deposed so he could take power. He seems like, a, you know, early right wing, far, far right German politician in, in some right. ways. Well, well, Ledoux was not not much better he he was um he was trying to sell the government on the idea of espionage he they, they france had just come through what the, the battle of verdun mm-hmm. and had suffered enormous losses and they were, they were kind of losing morale and people were losing faith in the government and uh Ladue was trying to convince everyone that espionage was the way to go they were going to turn this thing around with espionage so he he basically impressed uh impressed Matahari into this scheme to somehow seduce uh the the crown prince here's something that's interesting it's it's unclear at that point whether or not she was had already been contacted by the german side uh when i read this book uh tangled web it mentions that she had been uh courted by the german side before this in like 1915 or something like this okay uh, but but 
but that's not in other books. So God knows. In, anyway, by the by the end of of her uh, career as a spy, and I use it very loosely, uh, she was she had accepted money from both the Germans and the French, but she really had no information to give. And she really wasn't interested in getting any information. She was interested in having uh, a freedom of movement to go see her her lover, uh, the, the the Russian uh, soldier, who was at that point uh, in Germany, and she had to get through somehow. Mm. Um, yeah, his name was uh, Maslov. You said? Maslov, is that right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And he Finally, an had, easy Russian yeah. name for us to pronounce on this. <laughs> godforsaken show right well his name rings a bell the um <laughs> so anyway the, this is the thing that the, 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 this is the tragedy of of um of matahari you know we we all have these visions of espionage being this glamorous institution and people actively on in the field doing infiltrating places and stealing things or whatever most of the time spies are just people that have been contracted by the government to tell them anything they hear or to maybe act as couriers for something if they need something sent through uh, a a, you know a restricted region Um, and if you're like a professional spy it's generally a very sad profession to be in because you're lying all the time to everyone basically about everything it's it's the difference between perception and reality of like a James Bond novel versus like a John le Carre novel right you're very now, seldom going to be the guy who throws the grenade that kills like Reinhard Heydrich you know yeah. or something like that <laughs> and even that guy right. because be fair, he's a fictional died a character horrible... Reinhard Heydrich oh wait is, Heydrich no sorry not a fictional character no, he was a very real person <laughs> definitely um, worthy of grenade tossing. but even the guy who killed him uh died a, a, a horrible death right yeah. now it w- in in the book Tangled Web, uh, they uh, the they talk long or the author talks at length about what possibly the Germans might have seen in Matahari. Uh, her her code num- name was H twenty one by from her handler, and um, there was the Germans did employ these people that they named with a very crazy German compound name. Which I will try to pronounce yeah. now, which sure. is called a Spanungs Reisende. <laughs> Spanish Reisende. I don't know. Spanish Reisende. Raison d'etre. Which, 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 which translates to tension traveler, oh. which are people who would travel across Europe as commercial travelers just listening to gossip. And that was their job for Germany, where they'd come back and they'd say, like, oh, you know, I, I heard this great thing on the Orient Express. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it seems terribly uh, hit or miss to me. Uh, it seems like uh, not a, a, a great um, boon to, to Germany. Um, but the, the Germans may have also been using Matahari as a decoy because she was a flashy character mm-hmm. and she and the French started to suspect her. They suspected her more when they uh, received a communication. They infiltrated this uh, this communication line and 
broke a code that the Germans knew the French knew how to break that, that said Matahari's a spy. And it may have been that the Germans were trying to uh, throw up a, a smoke screen around their actual spies that were working around that same time. Yeah. And they had, Especially, like, uh, you know, been working her from the other angle a little bit. And, you know, just selling people out was advantageous. Yeah. 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 Especially if so she, she's not really able to provide anything of real value to them. Real value, yeah. yeah. Right. Now, she, she eventually was uh was um she was she was eventually uh detained by the french government questioned and then uh put on trial uh for for espionage um and it was it was the the same guy who had had uh who had recruited her ladeur who was responsible for uh, providing most of the evidence against her. Oh, um, Jesus! And, and and again, it was it was a, a bit of a scapegoating thing because the French were embarrassed about the the their performance of the war. There had been some governmental uh, embarrassments. This is fairly recently after the Dreyfus affair, and sure. it and so they they were kind of like looking for. It was very convenient to have this fallen woman this this you know terrible seducer of men um and and the other thing that was coming along right along this time to really screw over matahari was criminology um <laughs> yes. it was in its infancy at that point but there there was this belief that there was a criminal type and so matahari was painted as a criminal type mm-hmm. um so and therefore her actions were not the actions of someone who was acting out of impulse or bad information or you know love it was because of her character yeah um and that makes them irredeemable and yeah (laughs) yeah yeah exactly so she was she was executed by a firing squad uh in in 1917 and if you if you sorry go ahead oh it was my understanding also that this guy this uh uh french uh i I, i've lost track of his name we mentioned him. yeah uh right um did i miss this yeah like when he test refused to testify in her um favor she became so distraught that she literally passed out at the news or at least that is the the story right Mm. Yeah. Well, after the after the uh, the uh, uh, the arrest and the execution, Ledoux himself got uh, got got arrested for espionage and had to spend some time in jail. Uh, he was eventually exonerated, but his career was ruined and he he couldn't hold office after that. So there was a, a little bit of justice there, I guess. Um, I was going to say, if you if you want to read the most purple piece of prose in the world, <laughs> there was a, um, a the international news source wrote an account of the shooting of uh, Matahari, and I I'll I'll just give you a, a little taste of 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 what was what was in this uh, account. She arose and took the long black velvet cloak edged around the bottom with fur and with a huge square fur collar hanging down the back from a hook over the head of her bed. 
She placed this cloak over the heavy silk kimono which she had been wearing over her nightdress. Her wealth of black hair was still coiled about her head in braids. Then she said calmly, I am ready. Yeah, that is, that is rot, I will tell you. Right. Now, and, and, the, and the actual depiction of death, I'm not going to get into uh, because that it, it, it strikes me as ghoulish, but uh, that's some of the, the worst writing in this whole piece. Um, sure. And I think it's endemic to the story of Matahari to make this yeah. uh, grandiose version of this, I don't know, uh, person who's so in charge of her so image, her image and her life when, you know, the real accounts are, are, are often or the more seemingly accurate accounts are right. so much more, um, you know. Just the story of a, a person who got swept up in something beyond her control. Yeah. Even after her death, uh, her body was not claimed by her family. And so it was given over for medical uh, study and uh, her body was dissected, uh, but her head was cut off and it was put into it was embalmed and put into a jar as an example of a criminal type. But uh, apparently in 2000, it was discovered that the head is missing um, and it it could have been missing as early as 1954. So out there somewhere, you know, in, in the dark web, there's probably someone uh, auctioning off Matahari's head right now. Jesus. What did that do? Okay, one it's Jeff Bezos. He has, he has to be him or Richard Branson because he's actually British or something. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, obviously, this is a very sad story. And obviously, it's also the story of a woman yes. who didn't have a lot of options at the time and, and who probably wasn't the smartest person to, to do what she did. But also, she was an international person who was used to traveling internationally and didn't she didn't really kind of see that this was a serious war and people were not very happy about people you know traveling between countries and they weren't going to take lightly the fact that she accepted money from a foreign uh, government even if she did nothing in return yeah and i mean especially if you're coming from a, a neutral country in World War One, like it's not like World War Two, where there is a very clear and obvious delineation between uh, yeah. what the two sides represent. Like, yeah. and if you're a neutral, like, yeah, it's not that easy to have like a, a stance on that. Yeah, I, 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 before we get to the fake one, the, the last thing I want to say is I did spend a little time looking at Matahari in popular culture. And, you know, I, 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 a lot of people point to the Greta Garbo uh, film. It's an interesting film. It was a pre-Haze Code film, and it doesn't exist except in its uh, censored version now. Although there is a rumor that there is a full version of the, the movie in, in Belgium. Um, but but I, fa- I found lots and lots of little mentions. But then I found in, in 1995... Uh, Afra Haza, who is the, the one of the biggest pop stars in Israel, like the super pop star in Israel, did a song called Matahari. Mm-hmm. And I, I recommend everyone go find this because it is a it is a 
a crazy 90s song uh it, there there are there's some chanting in hebrew but most of it is in english and the lyrics are like a butterfly she crossed all the lines like a butterfly she dreamt danced and died well, uh, <laughs> maybe I'll try if I if I'm willing to dan- da- uh, dance with uh, the copywriters. Maybe I'll drop in a little a little sound clip. <laughs> Um, like a butterfly, she crossed all the... What? What is that? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Jesus. There's, there's like a certain vein of like... That probably was not in it, but there's a certain vein of like 90s Eurovision pop <laughs> that has just such an almost beautiful absurdity to it. Yeah, And yeah. that's honestly Eurovision now, but still... John, thank you. Well, I'm sorry to bring down the room. I hope I hope. Oh no, uh, no, 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 we can... no, 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 oh, no. <laughs> That is half of our episodes on this ostensible comedy podcast. Come with that. Come with we that. We are caveat. talking about the future, so sometimes we talk about the Congo rubber trade, and we're supposed to make a comedy we're ta- podcast. About we're talking that. about the future. Like, <laughs> with the 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 past, like King Leopold, yeah. Oh, did I say the future? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I meant the past. <laughs> you Obviously. know, the other one. <laughs> well, the past is prelude. Yeah. So. Oh, God, I, I hope I, not. I, I That's our... Do not, I do not wish for a future Congo rubber rubber trade by any no. stretch of the imagination. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it falls to me to do the alternate. Oh, yes. Week. Sorry, Zach, I couldn't throw that to you. Um... This was one of the weird ones. Um, I, I, I mean, like, I did not know a great deal about Matahari before doing this research. Um, uh, obviously, I had heard the name. I feel like it's an extremely famous name that is almost synonymous with the femme fatale sort of ideal that you see in spy fiction of all stripes. Um, and, you know, it's, it's worth noting that sometimes when we come up with the alternate histories on these, like, it's hard for different reasons, right? So like, very much there are episodes like we, we've done Harriet Tubman and it's like Harriet Tubman, obviously a very admirable figure. Everybody pretty much knows that Harriet Tubman was an extremely admirable person um, we have episodes like Rasputin where he's kind of a shit bag, but also, uh, like the popular story about him is like different from what most people know. Like most people think of the musical fucking Rasputin mm-hmm. and they don't think about the weird, <laughs> weird, the weird sex pervert, like sex pervert guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, like it's all these things that are so, uh, or the or there's things like the Salem Witch Trials or the Rosenbergs, which I mentioned earlier, which are, you know, I think people history has justified those. Like, I think yeah. most people know 
that the Salem witch trial victims were indeed victims nowadays. Like history has won out in that story. And I think Matahari is unique because uh, in many ways, I think that the popular idea perception of her is that she was some kind of spy and a femme fatale and a master of, you know, espionage. I don't think a lot of people know like that. This is, you know, this is a woman who is really given a, a sour lot in life and like had a few years where she became extremely successful at a thing she mm-hmm. did. And it's difficult to, to make a, an alt history like that. You can't make like a, a rock lobster joke like I did <laughs> with Lionel Crab last time. And um, so... I'm going to do something a little off base. Um, I'll give you a brief alternate history because I think we have an opposite version of this uh, that we did cover recently. And that is Coco Chanel, a woman who was a spy for genuinely bad people and genuinely was an anti-Semite, you know, gave information to Nazis. Uh, So if you want an alternate history, from Matahari. At some point, Matahari and Coco Chanel peed in a fountain and they switched <laughs> lives just before their comeuppance came out. Okay? So that's the alternate history. They peed in a fountain, they switched lives, they got the different comeuppance. But uh, in this particular case, I think that the strife of this particular woman, like, it really resonated with me reading it, uh, reading it, and understanding it, and and knowing separating the fact from the fiction and the the perception of her as some, you know, uh, mm-hmm. seductress. I'm going to say. I encourage you to vote for the real history. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I think that uh, I think that this is a situation where this woman's story has been suppressed, and should be known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so alternate history, fountain peeing, (laughs) but I encourage you to go for the other one. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Zach, thank you. Uh, Thank you for doing the thing I've often dreamed of doing when I've had like the whole time. Like we did a whole series when we talked about the Civil War. We were like, let's talk about the Civil War, but only talking about the stories of black Americans whose lives intersected with that conflict. And then we were like, oh, we have to come up with alternate histories for this because of the the strictures of the show that we came up with and can change at any time. Um, So, yeah, Zach, you've lived my dream. Um, Thank you. Uh, Before we move on to what is now... Really a foregone conclusion of judgment. Oh, it's still up to you. You still can make the choice. Uh, yeah, but what would it look like if I didn't at this point? Um, I reject the vaccine, says Brian. No. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, please get vaccinated, everyone. I would like to take my child places. Please. <laughs> I want to leave the fucking house. Um... <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll say, uh, listeners, we do have a Patreon, um, which 
you could go to helping put... <laughs> um, we do have a Patreon, which goes to helping us, you know, cover our hosting fees and putting, you know, fancy clothes on my little baby. Um, so you can contribute as little as a dollar a month. Uh, that's patreon.com slash the originist. Check out our rewards and uh, things like that. You could also just reach us uh, and send us a letter via our website, revisionistpodcast.com. Yeah. Written reviews, and- very helpful on iTunes. Yes. Um, if you have excessive money, like obviously we always encourage you to donate to uh, real charities as opposed to our Patreon. Yes. Like I know yeah. this is this is our self-defeating thing we do every week. It's a very difficult, <laughs> weird time in our country, but, you know, like, or the world in general. Um, yeah. Uh, but we encourage, we encourage charity. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you, if you have excessive money, money like, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a problem of the U.S. Well, tax one, system. We won't say no to $1 a week, but, you know, still. Yeah. Um, there's people more deserving. Mm. Um but those written <laughs> reviews, that's something yes. you can do for us for free if you like the show. Yeah. Um, you can also uh, reach us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, all of that. Uh, John, you host uh, a very, very good podcast called Sophomore Lit. Indeed, a podcast I've been on a couple of times, uh, in fact. Why, thank you for, for mentioning it. I, I, I uh, do indeed host a podcast called Sophomore Lit. Uh, where I and another co-host talk about a book of formative fiction, usually from a, a high school reading list. Sometimes not, but uh, mostly high school uh, mm. fiction. And uh, definitely come back on again, both of you. Yeah. Mm. And, and as the show has gone on, the like the titles that appear are like so. It's so much more interesting. Like once all oh, the yeah. like heavy hitters of. A lot of at least American like high school reading lists for sure have been taken. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting to see like the evolution of like uh, you're going to eventually if you have a show for a few years, you're gonna have to dig a little deeper. Uh, you can't just do like the Great Gatsby anymore. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I at this rate, I, I'm I, I, I am starting to run out of ideas. So maybe I'll have to switch to uh, <laughs> Mother Goose or something. You know. But yeah, if um, uh, if uh, you're a fan of this show and haven't uh, uh, listened to Sophomore Lit, um, uh, for instance, uh, I have done episodes about Mrs. Dalloway, Crime and Punishment, and An Enemy of the People, which I did with Shannon Camp, my mm-hmm. girlfriend and frequent guest of this show. Yes. So yeah, uh, those, uh, you know, could be could be on boards if you uh, happen to enjoy this show. And also speaking of like Coco Chanel and like sort of this era. And um, I was actually just talking to Jen about uh, the moon is down by John Steinbeck, mm. which I ended up reading like senior year, which um, very underrated uh, or maybe just underread book that I in- remembered enjoying a lot in high school. Um, well, come on and talk about it. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, you can't though, because that's senior lit. So that's yeah, that's true. It's actually not allowed. I think Sorry. Brian would be a great guest, but that's just my opinion. Um, Zach, you also you uh, co-host Movie Trap. I do. 
Um, because uh, I am less intelligent than John, I just make a podcast about <laughs> movies, which is the thing you can watch instead of read. <laughs> so it makes sense to brain to look at. Um, uh, yeah, we we just the the basic premise is it's me and three of my friends from way back. Uh, they both went to film school. I didn't, but they approved me anyway. Um, Zach, we, you've been so down on yourself the last thirty seconds. Uh, uh, anyways, the the idea is that uh, we have a theme. Um, that each of us picks a movie in that theme, maybe failed franchise starters or, uh, you know, our, our significant others pick the movie for that round. Or maybe it's something as simple as sports movies or a, a singular actor or director. And then at the end of the round, we choose who had the best, um, the best of the three picks. And that person gets to choose the next theme. Simple as that. Um, it's just basically a fun way for us to, to watch movies and kind of gamify it a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's, if you want to listen to our movie book club, Hey, there it is, you know, and, and you can watch movies, it on YouTube too. There's a video component. Uh, the movies run the gamut. Uh, I, I know because the episode I guessed it on was <laughs> police Academy. Um, so <laughs> Sure. We All call sorts. it the movie trap because theoretically, whatever we pick, you have to watch. We don't have to aim <laughs> to win. We can aim to just torture our co-host. Mm. Yes. Oh, God. Um, listeners, as for me, um, since live stand-up is not, again, a thing that is safe again, um, I'll just plug uh, one of the charities I'm really big on right now, WeCycle, W-E-E, -E, uh, Cycle.org, which gets um, diapers and wipes, uh, formula to uh, families experiencing homelessness and um, just needy families uh, with young children. And having a child myself uh, did not fully grasp how expensive those things are and how quickly you blow through them uh so those things are a really vital need so if you can uh you can either donate money or uh if you are in the um denver area you can actually drop off supplies to them um so we cycle check them out um that brings us to, I think, maybe the most anticlimactic judgment so, phase we've ever had. Right? Are you gonna go with? Uh, are you gonna go with piss fountain or this story of a woman who has been maligned by history unfairly? <laughs> I mean, I'm obviously gonna go with the true history, but hearing you describe it like that, I do feel a little bit like Elaine looking at the poster for sack lunch and looking at the fucking English patient. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I'm going to cast my vote for the actual history. Uh, listeners, you can vote now too on the Patreon and uh, check out the Instagram story the Wednesday, uh, two Wednesdays after this is released for your last chance to vote. Um, it's either Piss Fountain or <laughs> an actual person who you know, suffered a lot. Um, so 
No. You know, <laughs> I'm not putting my thumb on the scale or nothing. I'm wondering, yeah, I'm sure we'll get we get one vote for the alt, and it's going to be like Stephen Miller or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess we can't throw away listeners. Um, uh, listeners, if you are a member of the former Trump administration, uh, don't listen. Don't listen. Actually, we would like to throw away. you away. Yeah. Don't do anything with your life except live in a basement and never speak to anyone. <laughs> um, so take that former labor secretary, Elaine Chow. Um, For sure. Yeah. Also her. Yeah. Mitch McConnell's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's more problems there uh but that'll do it for this episode uh john thank you so much for joining us thank you uh zach thank you as always of course for everyone here at the revisionists i'm brian flynn uh i am zach powers and have a good time have a good time August 21st, 1858, the first of the Lincoln-Douglas debates is held. No debate would be more influential in American history until 157 years later, when Ben Shapiro debates a hungover college freshman at U of M. August 21st, 1911, the Mona Lisa is stolen by Vincenzo Peruga, a Louvre employee. His motive is unclear, but many contend that it may be because Biff called him a chicken and no one calls him a chicken. August 21st, 1770. James Cook claims Australia for Great Britain, naming it New South Wales. Not to be confused with Original South Wales, Famous South Wales, and Famous Original South Wales. August 21st, 1791, the Bois Caiman takes place, an underground voodoo ceremony which marks the beginning of the Haitian Revolution. American founding fathers wished they had wished they could have stolen that idea instead of some dumb tea bullshit. I'm not even going to bother retaking that one. Um, okay. August 21st, 1911, the Mona Lisa is stolen by Vincenzo Perugia. He is apprehended when guards notice the enigmatic smile crammed into his cargo shorts.